Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Serson, construction adjudicator, lawyer, and director of Tricks of Your Trade. Today on my podcast, I want to talk to you all about the cross-contract set-off clause that you should be looking for in your builder's contract when you do your contract review. This one can be nasty, and I want to be upfront and say this is something that is included in the Australian Standard Conditions of Contract. So there are lawyers out there who say that because these clauses are included in the Australian Standards that they're fair and reasonable, and I beg to differ because When you see what this clause can do, you will very quickly understand that it goes above and beyond you performing your obligations under your contract or your individual contract with your builder. And it can create way more liability than you might even understand when you sign up to these contracts. The other reason I think it's not super fair is because the way that it's written, it's not clear what the intention of the clause is. It's not clear to an everyday person reading the contract what it can effectively do. And the reason I say that is because I consider myself a pretty clever cookie. I went to law school and I studied law. And while I was at law school, I was reading these contracts and I it did not click in my mind what the other money's due clause was in the Australian Standard Contracts. So if I was a builder's CA and I was a law student and I was reading these contracts and it, it couldn't click for me that this is effectively a clause that could unhinge your entire business and potentially not just your standalone business but your group of businesses, uh, then I don't think any kind of subcontractor in the industry is going to have a fair go at understanding what uh, the cross-contract set-off clause effectively does or even the other money's due clause as it's written in the Australian Standard Contracts. I don't think it's sufficiently clear that people might really understand what it means. So I'm going to have a go at sharing my screen with you uh, in this podcast. And I know that if you're listening to this in the car, you won't be able to see this, but you might be able to go to the show notes because I'll put a little snip there. Um, My fairy pod mother who does my podcast production, she might help me with that. Um, So I'm going to share my screen so that you can see uh, what I'm talking about here. Now, the cross-contract set-off clause, this is... Uh, the one that I'm showing you here is in the 4901-1998 general conditions of contract. Uh, but I will, uh, after I've been through this, I will go through and I will show you um, where you can find it in all the other Australian standards. So this is the one I'm talking about here, 37.6. And almost always in the Australian standards, it does end up being around about the 37.6 in the clause numbers. Um, but it says here, the main contractor being the builder, may elect that money is due and owing otherwise then in connection with the subject matter of the subcontract also be due to the main contractor pursuant to the subcontract. Now, when you look at that as a standalone clause and you read it in isolation to the rest of the contract, it is clear as day. If the builder elects to do so, they can decide that money owing to them outside of this contract 
otherwise than in, a, in connection with the subject matter of the subcontract, so outside of this contract, also be due to the builder under the contract. So what they're effectively doing there is they're saying that if they have a claim against you or if there's any amount that becomes due under the contract, they can effectively set off and uh, they can set off and deduct it from your current progress claim under your existing contract. So if you have repeat ongoing work with a builder, which most of you do, uh, what effectively happens is that over time, you nest these little invisible dragon eggs of retention around the countryside because you've been a good bloke and you've gone and done lots of good jobs and they're keeping their attention like the builders do. But one day, if it all goes bad, the builder, worst case scenario, could say, hey, I've got beef with you. I, I believe you owe me money. And so I'm going to set off across those contracts. Now, the Australian standard conditions do say the money has to be due. That would require a debt to become due and owing under the contract. And so there needs to be a mechanism in the contract for that debt to become due and owing. But lovely lawyers out there like to complicate things. And what they do is they amend those clauses and they say money's due or likely to become due at some future time, claimed amounts as well. So not just amounts that are due now, but amounts the builder claims might be due. And how many times has the builder claimed that they can have back charges for cleaning costs or um, scaffold overrun costs, or if the builder says, look, I want some liquidated damages at the end of the job, they can actually set that off across contracts for which you've worked with the builder historically. Now, if you're working for a builder at any given time and you're doing five or six jobs at the moment with that builder, maybe you do 80% of your work with that builder and they have the ability to set off across contracts, what can happen is they can turn the tap off on your payments across all the jobs if something gets bad. So this is a really serious uh, clause that you need to be looking for in your contracts because it has the ability to choke your revenue so much so that you will be unlikely to be able to afford to fight the builder. And the builders bank on that. I'm sorry to say that, but I've seen lawyers advise builders in situations where if you can avoid paying them, they may not have the money to fight you. So why is the cross-contract clause so dangerous, right? I understand that you're going to realise that if the builder can stop paying you across 15 jobs or five jobs even at the same time because they've got a barney with you on one particular job, but what you might not have thought about is if you're signing parent company guarantees. So it very quickly unravels where if you're signing a parent company guarantee, the builder, which oftentimes the builder's contracts do include parent company guarantees. And let me just fill in the blanks there. A parent company guarantee is where you have more than one company that you operate out of, or if there's a group of companies and there might be a parent company that sits above it, your parent company guarantee will say, that that other company guarantees any amount that you might owe the builder across these contracts. So you can see now how if there's a cross-contract set-off clause or an other money's due clause, like there was in that 4901 we looked at, what effectively happens is the builder can not just try to set off across all those contracts, but the builder can claim amounts from those parent companies. So if it is a big enough fight that everybody ends up in court, 
then the builder can join your parent company as well and can effectively join multiple companies in your group of companies, whichever one they think's got the deepest pockets because they'll always follow the money. So if it's not enough of an incentive for you to go looking for this clause because the builder can turn off the payments, um, stop and have a think about what would happen if the builder turned off all of the payments under all of your jobs at, at once because they had the ability to cross contract set off against your contracts. Well, I can tell you what would happen is that you would find it very hard to take an adjudication to have an independent, objective and reasonable person uh, decide whether or not you're entitled to be paid. Because when the builder cross contracts set off, uh, the builder is effectively deducting money across multiple contracts. You need to debt recover in connection with each individual contract. So it's not the case that you can turn up to the adjudicator's office and say, look, here's my five jobs the builder's ripping me off on. Can you help me work it out? That's not the way it works. You have to apply individually for each individual contract. And it may be that you don't have a reference date available to you to make a payment claim for that particular contract right at that point in time. It may be that that retention is not yet able to be released, or it may be that if you do have five jobs and the builder is cross-contract setting off for work in progress across all of those jobs, the cost for you to take five adjudications just to get paid for the work you've done, there are very few subcontracting businesses who can withstand that kind of financial um, expense suddenly, unexpectedly. So it can cause a myriad of issues if you have these cross-contract set-off clauses. Now, in my experience, builders, contracts, administrators, quite a lot of them don't know what they're looking at when they look at one of these things. And the way that we get around explaining to them why we can't have it in our contract is there's two things that can go wrong with it. First of all, your insurance company. So your insurer will have uh, rights under law to be able to pursue other parties for money if uh, things go bad. And they will want to quarantine your liability under any individual contract. So if you have an insurance policy, say, for example, you have a professional indemnity insurance policy because you're doing a component of design, or if you have a contract works insurance policy, um, and say, for example, let's use the contract works insurance policy as an example. Say there's a terrible accident and a big truck that your worker is driving uh, gets backed into the scaffold and all the scaffold collapses and the facade's damaged and there's a big claim for the cost of the scaffold and all of the facade repairs and it's your fault, it's your company's fault this happened. If you've got a contract works insurance policy for loss or damage over the work and the builder decides that the cost that's going to be required to fix the damage that your company has caused well and truly exceeds anything that you are required to be paid out of the contract, the builder will just stop paying you and then the builder might cross-contract set off for that. So your insurance company is not going to want the damage or the loss to be able to extend past the terms of the contract in which you've signed. So it's almost like having holes in a bucket where the builder's able to get out and around and get over into the bucket over there to get some more cash. So um, bear that in mind that your insurer might, may take issue with cross-contract set-off clauses, which give you liability under other contracts or give uh, prevent the risk the financial risk from being quarantined into the contract that you're currently signing. So oftentimes we can explain to builders CAs, listen, 
we appreciate why you want this clause, uh, but listen, our insurer's taking issue with it. And I'm quietly confident that if you went to your broker and you said, hey, listen, is this allowed? Are you guys okay with this clause? Uh, they would give you an email to say, hey, no, you shouldn't be signing up to this. This is not, um, this is effectively requiring your contract sum or the amount of risk under your contract to exceed the value of your contract sum because it now extends to these other contracts down the road as well. So that's one way we get around it. The other way we get around it is that trade credit insurers will take issue with you having uh, the risk of being short paid across multiple jobs. So where you've got a trade credit insurance policy and there's scope for dispute about an amount or there's, you know, there's a reason the builder's not paying you and the builder just turns the tap off across all the jobs. It's likely to be in your policy that you're not going to be covered for disputed amounts if it's a bona fide dispute. Um, but what your builder's contracts administrator may not know is that the trade credit insurer will be quite unhappy with you not being able to quarantine the amount of money they don't pay you that could otherwise turn into a claim, could turn into a claim with the trade credit insurer. So uh, it's very likely that your insurance companies could take, take issue with these cross-contract set-off clauses. So I want to give you a couple of little tips on how I look for these cross-contract cross set-off clauses in contracts because the builder's lawyers are clever and they will rename that bad boy so you cannot find it in the contract. So what they'll typically do is they will call it a set-off clause or um, a deductions clause. But what you want to be looking for, I control F the word otherwise because as you would have seen when I shared my screen, it says amounts owing otherwise than in connection with the contract. So if you look for the word otherwise in your contract as a control F, there's a good chance that you'll find it. The other way you can look is just put in the other monies due. So you can put in M-O-N-E-Y-S, monies due, and try to find it that way. Um, and look, if you have a uh, builder's contract that's been heavily amended and it no longer looks anything like the Australian Standard contract, you might consider um, having a look at the way the builder's lawyer has started to draft it. So you, you will find these little cross-contract set-off clauses in multiple places throughout the document. They won't just put it in one pretty little spot for you to cross out you're going to have to go looking for it. So that's where you want to be looking. Control F the word otherwise. Um, control F the word likely. And you will find amounts that they're saying are likely to become due in, in the future. Uh, and make sure that you thoroughly read through your contract to make sure you know what you're signing. When it comes to parent company guarantees or deeds of guarantee and indemnity, you really need to be looking at those documents and understanding what you're signing. If you're signing a deed that effectively says that your parent company guarantees your performance under this contract over here, and that parent company is the one that holds all the assets, that is not a good asset protection plan. Okay, so if anyone's giving you advice to the effect that you should just sign a parent company guarantee because you then uh, may not have to give the builder retention. Well, there's a very good reason that the builder would accept the parent company guarantee. And if you've got a cross-contract set-off clause, suddenly you might find yourself in a position where you have got an unknown number of contracts that your parent company now guarantees because amounts can be set off 
across contracts. So be very careful about that. The other thing you want to look at when you're looking at these deeds of guarantee is in the signature panel, if it asks you to sign in your personal capacity, no, 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 no. That is not what you want to be doing. Okay, it should say signed uh, in accordance with Section 127 of the Corporations Act. That means you're signing in your capacity as the director of a company, not in your personal capacity. So if you're not sure about these deeds of guarantee and indemnity, and to be honest, they can take a little bit of looking into to make sure that they're all above board, um, you really should be seeking some advice about them. It doesn't have to be me. Um, just contact any solicitor. They should be able to tell you whether something is a personal uh, guarantee that you're signing in your personal capacity uh, or whether you're signing in your capacity as the company. And if it's not clear, what you can do is you can just write on there, um, in my capacity as director of the company, pursuant to section 127 of the Corporations Act 2001 Commonwealth, so it's CTH in brackets. And that way you're making it very clear that you're not signing in your personal capacity, you are signing in your capacity as a director of the company. So I, I realise this podcast has gotten pretty technical and it's a little bit off topic in terms of what I normally talk about, but there's a lot of talk at the moment about these cross-contract set-off clauses because builders are using them to get out of paying historical retentions. So what's been happening is up until the project trust account rollout, um, builders could by and large keep retentions in their cash flow. Now that that's changing a little bit and it's not coming into effect as quickly as we had hoped, the government has yet again delayed um, security of payment regime for subcontractors. But where there's private projects over 10 million and retentions being kept in bank accounts, retention bank accounts, uh, these builders are looking for ways to not have to pay out these historical retentions because if you have a look on ASIC and your builder does do a financial report, have a look and see if you can see how much they're holding aside for retentions for the subbies. And in almost all the cases, it's very little. It's certainly not proportionate to the amount they should have in the bank if they had kept subcontractor retentions aside. So I promised you a little while ago that I was going to tell you what the clauses are uh, for each of the Australian standard contracts. So I will put this in the show notes, but if you're looking at AS4901 or 4902 subcontract conditions, it's going to be 37.6. Likewise, if it's an AS4000, it will be a 37.6 clause. Bear in mind, if the builder's lawyer has messed with the contracts, the numbering will change. Uh, and if you're looking at a 2545, it'll be around about the clause 42 mark. Um, but you, it may not necessarily be called the other money's due clause. Also bear that in mind. And then the 2124 also around about the 42, number 42 clause. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that's something that you can just put on your list of things to look for in your builder's contract. The way that we approach these contract reviews is not to strive to be absolutely perfect. The 80-20 rule will help you here. So if you can reduce 80% of your risk by 20% of the things you do, then by all means, I think if you can stop yourself from being liable under every single contract for anything that might happen on any, any particular job, uh, that is going to be a big measure in quarantining the amount of risk that you have under your individual contracts with your builder so that you know that when you start the job or you sign the contract, the life of the contract, when the contract is over, that is where your contractual liability technically ends, although you will be open to being able to be sued for six years for common law 
um, breaches. And most of the time, because you don't have retention sitting at the builder anymore, it's not worth the builder's time or money to do it. So make sure you quarantine that money uh, out of the builder's pocket and don't make it easy for them. Do not make it easy for them by signing cross-contract set-off clauses. All right, guys, hope you have an amazing day. I'm signing off for yet another podcast. If you have any questions about what I've talked about on this podcast, feel free to drop me a good old-fashioned email at questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. If you would like a systematic approach to your contract administration and getting paid, head on over to our website and check out the Subbies Toolbox. You won't be disappointed there. And just one last time, our web address is www.tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing boats? Swinging your tools more you gave up. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade! Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter, don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade!